And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. High in the air. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 163 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly and Andy, 163 hits allowed by Andrew Suarez in 2018. How about that? That's not where I thought you were going to go. I thought this was going to be the, the the playoff tiebreaker podcast. You know, I thought about it, but uh, the thought of a 163rd game between the Giants and the, the Dodgers uh, gives me hives. Uh, it gives me hives thinking about covering it, thinking about watching it. I, I don't need that nonsense in my life. You know, we were packing up in the press box uh, the other day. And um, just sort of had this organic conversation of, so what's going to happen? I mean, none of us know. There's no way to predict. This thing is just, I mean, you know, it doesn't matter what we think is going to happen. There's, there's, no, there's no benefit that can be derived from trying to predict this. But I, I kind of think that everything has been so bonkers, bananas, crazy. Why wouldn't there be a 163rd game? Why wouldn't there be a one-game playoff between the Dodgers and the and the Giants? And then the loser goes immediately into a wild card game. And then the, if you win that game, you're right back against uh, uh, the Dodgers or the Giants in the NLDS. Why why not, why couldn't that happen? I mean, it, it kind of seems like it has to happen, right? It does seem like the likeliest scenario. Just I mean, you you go back to when's the last time uh, there has been a Giants-Dodgers season like this where both teams were a uh, hundred game or more winners. It was uh, 1962, and that's exactly what happened. Except back then, it was a best-of-three tiebreaker, uh, and the, the final game was as bonkers as, as you can get. Uh, but this would just be a one-and, uh, just a one-game tiebreaker. It would be really, really cool uh, at the same time. Like, it just nonsense. I don't need that nonsense in my life. <laughs> We've had enough nonsense. Enough nonsense there. Yeah, um, I think one of my favorite little tidbits of that 1962 uh, season is that Jose Pagan played in 164 games that year. 164. <laughs> that will never happen again, right? Talk about unbreakable records. 164 games played. Nope, that that's that is not going to happen again. Felipe Alou played in 154. Billy Mays played in 162. Uh, Chuck Hiller played in 161. Uh, Orlando Cepeda played in 162. And Jose Pagan, the shortstop, played in 164 games crazy. That is that is bonkers. And it's one of those, uh, Jose Pagan actually hit just enough. Like he had a 312 on base percentage. Throughout the 60s, the Giants, like their big problem, their big bugaboo was that their shortstop was usually just abysmal. Not just okay, not just passable, but abysmal. Um, or actually, Hal Lanier was second base, but whatever. It was, uh, the 60s were cruel because the Giants won and they won a lot. 
uh, but they were always bested by the Dodgers. So my proposal is that uh, the reverse happens for the next decade here. Oh, I thought you were going to say we're going to send Brandon Crawford back in time and he's going to wake up and he's going to be in um, uh, Marty McFly's uh, uh, puffy vest and he's going to go dominate the 1950s and 60s with the Giants as their shortstop. If you could put uh, Brandon Crawford in a DeLorean and send him back to the 60s, how good do you think he would be? Like, do you think uh, 400 hitter, like with the, the nutrition he has, with the knowledge he has, do you think 400, like is that to send someone back in time, like an athletic specimen like that back in time, would he dominate that much? I think that probably his shoes would be too tight and he wouldn't, he, he would be so upset that he didn't have all of his fancy cleats and just had the plain, <laughs> the plain black metal spikes and uh, probably couldn't find nice bats. He, you know, he, he probably would have uh, bats that were like warped and weird. Um, and he would get so frustrated with the equipment that he'd quit and he'd go, uh, uh, you know, start uh, running the cash register at the A&P. That sounds good. He made good living back then doing that, you know? Oh, yeah. Like a nice, nice union job. All right. Uh, Let's talk about the 2021 Giants, and specifically this series against the Braves. It was a little bit of a test because the the Braves handed the Giants uh, their lunch a little bit in Atlanta. Uh, so this was kind of, hey, now now you're in San Francisco. Let's see if you can do it again. The Giants took the first two games. They ran into a Max Fried shaped buzzsaw in the last game, but overall uh, a positive outcome. And I think. Uh, we should probably just devote a majority of the episode to Friday night's game because that was pretty wild. It was. I mean, I, I, I'm going through like my mental Rolodex of of just sporting events that I've seen live, and that includes me as a fan. That includes me being paid to be there as an, uh, an impartial observer. And I, I got to think that was in the top ten uh, of of, <laughs> of greatest sporting events I've seen live. That game was just nuts, and it was just such a, a roller coaster. Uh, you know, of of late inning activity. I, I don't even know where. I guess I wrote a story about it, so you know, I it, <laughs> I was able to process it on some level. But I I think I'm still processing it. Yeah, no, it's it it uh, stuck with me throughout the whole weekend because it was there were so many twists and turns, and there was uh you know it starts with Tyler Rogers and that uh the the Tyler Rogers theory of of pitching in insofar as that when he fails it looks really bad. It is like it like no one else. Like when Jake McGee fails, it, it doesn't look great because here comes the fastball. Whoops, they hit the fastball. Well, of course, they knew it was coming. The optics aren't great there. But when Tyler Rogers does it, your brain just breaks and thinks, oh, gosh, you know, he's just what's he doing out there in the late innings? What's he doing trying to close a game? He throws 82 miles per hour, blah, blah, blah. It just looks so bad when it doesn't work. And he's a really good pitcher. So our brain shouldn't do that. But it, it's just funny how like, oh, it's confirmation bias. Yeah, I think up until the moment Donovan Solano hit his two strike two out home run to tie the game. I think all I did in the top in the bottom half of that inning was like scroll through my Twitter mentions and just like look at the steaming pile of nonsense. Like Tyler Rogers is trash. Gabe Kapler's trash. <laughs> We're putting Tyler Rogers in the game. He throws trash. It's like, well, no, he's not trash. And his parents love him very much. And anytime that you call a player or a manager garbage uh, as personif a personification of their... Um, uh, you know, what they are essentially, then you get auto-blocked by me because that makes you a bad person and I don't want to engage with you on social media or in any other medium at all. So bye-bye. But um, yeah, it's also just a bad take because all you have to do is look at his stats. All you have to do is look at the value he's generated uh, for the team this year and what he's done to a lot of major league hitters to make them look like they're really not major league hitters. So um, yeah, just a bad take all the way around uh, because you're just fooled by 
what you're seeing in the moment, which is, yeah, you're right. When, when it doesn't work out, it looks really, really bad. But, uh, you know, I, I, for one, think that they've probably been a little too slow in not using him in a multi-inning capacity. And, and now that Jake McGee is down for, you know, at least 10 days, uh, you know, maybe they're, they're going to do that a little more. The one thing with, with Rodgers that has stuck out to me is that his strikeout rate has picked up a little bit uh, recently. He struck out 25 batters in his last 30 innings in the second half. Uh, so he's missing bats. You know, his ERA is a gaudy uh, 2.70 in the second half. So maybe that's what everyone's picking up on. But yeah, so he's going to blow a save here and there. Every reliever is, uh, unless you're Eric Gagne in 2003. So it's just going to happen. I, I think the more unexpected part of Friday night's game was Donovan Solano just kind of rolling into uh, the the season after missing time with covid and hitting a home run like that, I think, to me, was the, the silliest part of the game, even sillier than Gossman. Well, to me, he is the Michael Morse in this equation. It's like Michael Morse hit the home run off Pat Neshek in the pennant clinching win in, in 2014. And that was the one that tied the game. I mean, that had to happen. When Travis Ishikawa batted, he could have won the game with a sack fly. He could have won the game <laughs> with a wild pitch that went to the backstop, right? He he kind of did overkill a little bit by hitting the home run and having Jake Peavy, uh, a blind Jake Peavy, mob him on the bases. But but he didn't need to hit the home run. I mean, at that point, there was a billion ways they could win that game. There wasn't you know two outs at the time. Um, and so that's kind of the analog to, to Kevin Gosman hitting the, uh, the walk-off sacrifice fly. It's like, if he didn't get it done, you were going to get Brandon Belt with the bases loaded as long as Gosman didn't hit into a double play, which, by the way, I, I still think he shouldn't have swung the bat at all, and I want to get into the math on this and find out if I'm wrong and challenge my perceptions, but um, what had to happen was Donovan Solano had to hit that home run, just like Michael Morse had to hit his home run against the Cardinals in 2014, and, and it was... They pinch hit for Mike Yastrzemski, who I know is not having a great season, but he's still perfectly okay. He, he's not been dominated left on left. Um, he's a guy who is in the flow of the game and in the flow of a season. And Gabe Kapler went for uh, the platoon matchup with Donovan Solano, who hadn't seen a major league pitch in three weeks and spent, you know, half of that time literally locked in a hotel room in Manhattan in a COVID quarantine. And, you know, I asked him, I said, what made you go to that move there? And he said, well, I thought the platoon matchup was important, but also I just trusted Donovan Solano in that spot. And uh, and that's about that's about it. That's the extent of it. And so credit to Gabe Kapler, because that move took a lot of stones to, to make. And uh, boy, it, it just a move does not pay off better than, than than that move right there. It was I mean, you saw the wheels in his brain turning with Will Smith. He kept pumping that back foot slider. Um, he kept trying to hit that corner, trying to hit that corner, and he gets to a 2-2 count, uh, and he's thinking, that's the corner. He's going to try and miss with it just a little bit out of the strike zone. I got to be ready for it to be right there in the strike zone. Like, he was waiting for that exact pitch. I, that's going to be how Donovan Solano hits his home runs, but you could see the wheels turning, and it was so satisfying just as an impartial observer just to watch a hitter get the pitch you know he was looking for and do that with it. It was remarkable to watch. Yeah, it's it's uh, it was really an understanding of, hey, this is the guy's swing plane. This is where he can do damage. And we've seen Donovan Solano be able to drive inside pitches and pitches down and in 
Uh, and so, you know, yeah, they, they probably just, uh, you know, who was really good at that. And I know that he didn't have the analytics behind him maybe, but just really had a good feel for how a pitcher and a hitter would match up was Felipe Alou. Uh, he, he mm. really was, I would hear that all the time from opposing managers. I, I, I covered Jim Tracy when he was the Dodgers manager. He was Felipe's longtime bench coach in Montreal. And he would say Felipe is better than anybody he'd ever been around at just understanding, uh, what someone's bat path is like and what a pitcher's pitch shapes are like and just, you know, what's going to be a good matchup and what's not. And now, of course, there's just so much more that they have that can, uh, you know, sort of do that thinking for you uh, on, on a spreadsheet. And, and yeah, it's, it's in retrospect, you look at the way that Donovan Solano can hit that pitch down and in. And it was. It was a perfect matchup for, for Will Smith. And, and when he got the, 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 the slider he wanted, um, you know, he, he didn't miss it. And, uh, and then we went to extra innings and hilarity ensued. Hilarity ensued. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You uh, teased a little bit that you would have had the take sign on for Kevin Gosman. Uh, I I go on the fence because I'm not sure at the moment. I'm not sure if I really put if I really had an opinion at the moment. So it's easier for me in retrospect to say, well, of course, let him swing. He's going to win the darn game. So uh, talk to me about your strategy there and Gabe's Kapler strategy and let's hash this out on a podcast dang it okay let's do it well first we have to set the the stage right um so automatic runner uh, starts the inning at second base um and then uh Braves pitcher whose name was Webb it's not Logan Webb uh, don't pay attention to that it'll only confuse you his name is Webb he he whirls around and tries to pick off throw and it goes into center field and the Benny Hill theme song plays and Brandon Crawford goes to third base at which point they intentionally walk, uh, what was it, Evan Longoria, I believe. Now you've got mm-hmm. uh, uh, runners at first and third, and they pitch to Steven Duggar, uh, nobody out, and Duggar hits a medium fly ball, not quite deep enough, with with no outs, it's, it's really not a good gamble to have Crawford try to tag up and win the game, so he stays put, uh, Ron Wotus uh, gets another um, gold star next to his name for that, and there's one out. So then what they do is Donovan Solano's up, and the pitcher spot is on deck, and there are no position players, which is not a fault uh, of Gabe Kapler. This is what the Giants do. They empty their bench early because they figure, I'm going to play every card. I'm not going to left be left you know holding any cards unplayed, and, and more often than not, it's going to work in, in our favor that we deploy our bench early, and you can't argue with it. It's worked. It's been really, really smart. So they don't have any players left, and uh, Kevin Gossman is the guy who's got nine of their 19 hits among among their pitching staff, so he's the choice to, to pinch hit. And it's an easy call to intentionally walk Donovan Solano. 
um, which does load the bases, and you don't like to give your pitcher with no place to go, um, but uh, but you do have Kevin Gosman coming up. And if I'm the Giants, I have Kevin Gosman stand there. And if he strikes out, which he probably will, then you've got Brandon Belt coming up with the bases loaded and a shot to win the game. If he hits him a double play, uh, the inning is over, and Brandon Belt is going to lead off the next inning. And you're going to have Kevin Gosman, by the way, as your automatic runner at second base, which is also another penalty that they would pay. So I would have just had him, you know, stand there. And um, he did not stand there. <laughs> he swung the bat, and he hit the sacrifice fly that won the game. So now that we've set it up, what would you have done? I do, you know, uh, uh, Gabe Kapler said after the game, he said that is, you know, you're going to get a fastball in that count. It was a 3-2 count. You have Jacob Webb who has, he's not a strike thrower throughout his minor league career uh, in his brief time in the majors. He is not like all over the place, but he is a general, uh, uh, you know, four walks per nine inning guy. Uh, he's just, he has imperfect command, but you know, in that moment, you're going to get a fastball and you trust Gosman to, to put it in play somewhere. And that is the problem. Like if it's in play to an infielder, that's the end of the inning, end of the rally. Uh, I do like just the idea of a pitcher knowing that he's going to get a fastball. Uh, I, I don't know. I kind of liked the decision to have him swing. It's easier for me to say in retrospect, but I, I, just, I do think that there was some strategy there and it was a risk and I appreciated the risk. But he didn't just swing 3-2. He also swung at the 1-1 fastball. And that's mm-hmm. that's the one this that makes true. me think. Okay, <laughs> why was he swinging one one? And he, and and here's the other thing that that breaks my brain is Gosman fouled a ball basically into the Giants' dugout. He was so late on the fastball, and he even <laughs> said, you know, I've never turned on a fastball in my life. The only way I can cheat to a fastball is if it's a, a three ball count because you know one has to be coming. It's it's a ball. The game's over. So, but why was he swinging one one? And then. When he was so, so obviously overmatched by the fastball, why did Webb come back and throw him a changeup on the next pitch, which missed, bonkers. and then the fastball missed, and then you get to a three-ball count where he can cheat on the fastball. So, um, yeah, the, I mean, why he swung the bat at all in that at-bat is is still kind of crazy to me. And I understand, now, now that I've talked to a few people, um, that basically your proposition for winning the game with Belt is pretty much tied to his on-base percentage. Um, you know, you could have a wild pitch or other things, but that could happen in Gosman's at, uh, at bat too. Uh, but so you're looking at about, you know, 380 or something is, is your probability of ending the game with Brandon Belt. And um, basically they figured out that the chances of Gosman hitting into a double play there were about maybe 12%, and the chances mm. of him winning the game uh, were about maybe 20%. So to them, it was a better play math-wise to have him try to put the ball in play. Um, I still don't know necessarily about the methodology there. I mean, I just think you've got the infield playing in, you've got the pitcher running, uh, you've got the force at the plate. Uh, I just think there's so many ways that that he could have hit in a double play there uh, that I still wouldn't have taken the risk because it just would have felt bad to, 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 to have the pitcher hit in a double play and you miss a chance to win the game with Brandon Belt. But you know what? It... It worked out, and it's a crazy, crazy fun thing to sort of play through your mind after the fact. But suffice it to say, this is the year of our Lord 2021, and these are the San Francisco Giants. So, of course, it worked out. <laughs> it uh, it also highlights one of my uh, biggest pet peeves in baseball, which is the intentional walk to load the bases. I cannot stand it when managers do this because it 
you have an opportunity to go out of the strike zone. If you want to do it on four straight pitches, then do it on four straight pitches. You have the chance to attack a hitter, uh, throw balls. Maybe he's over aggressive. Maybe he's going to expand his zone. And even if you're good at expanding your zone, it's still going to be advantage pitcher even more so. I can't stand it when managers load the bases intentionally. Uh, I get it why they did it. Uh, against Gossman, of course, but they still would have had to get uh, belt out with that. You go down one, like if you throw a ball, now you're behind in the count and it puts all the pressure right on the pitcher to get in the strike zone. The hitter knows it. I can't stand it when managers do that. Is it a pet peeve of yours or am I just a big baby? I know. Well, you are a big baby, but I've, I've come around on this. <laughs> I've, I've come around on this big time because I used to always be okay. You walk the bases loaded, you set up the force at home, you bring in the fifth infielder and, you know, Mike Sosha gets a royalty for that. That, by the way, uh, you can pay him uh, via Venmo, and, and 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 that's just that's just what you did. But but the more I see this thing play out, especially as we get in more of these situations with this automatic runner uh, on second base, um, <laughs> I, I I've totally come around on it. I've totally totally changed my mind on it because um, you know you put your pitcher in a spot where they they basically have to come in the strike zone with 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 the bases loaded, and either they start aiming and missing. Or the hitter uh, feels a little bit more empowered because they know that there's no place to put you. Um, I, I I just think that there are very few scenarios where it makes sense now uh, to um, walk the bases loaded. Sure, if you got first base open and runner at second base, that's one thing. Um, yeah, but but yeah, gosh, I, I think you you tiptoe around them and you 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 trust that your pitcher can execute and, and pitch carefully to a hitter, and maybe you you you're you're able to to coax your way into an out that way. You you could even argue that their their decision to walk Donovan Solano and front of Gosman was a bad choice. I, I'm not sure if I would go that far um, with the pitcher on deck. I think it, it probably made sense, but but I'll tell you what, they got really, really lucky when they walked the bases loaded and they walked Chris Bryant to pitch to Brandon Crawford in the 10th with Tyler Matzek, a guy who's got like 5.5 walks per nine innings. Yes. And he almost walked Brandon Crawford to end the game in the 10th inning. And and when he as soon as they walked Chris Bryant to, to load the bases, I'm like, this is going to cost him the game. The game is over. And it will be because Bryant Snicker made it very bad choice, and they got away with it. Yeah, it's you know, it's also the pitcher when you have a runner on third, they generally aren't going to have the same confidence in their slider. I mean, unless you're like Max Scherzer or something, they're going to be concerned that they're going to spike a slider and it's going to skip off the plate, and that's going to be how the game ends. So there's just so many considerations when you have a pitcher with the bases loaded. They you've taken away uh, their their off speed stuff uh, in some respects. You've forced them into a fastball. Uh, situation a lot of times, especially if they uh, get behind in the count. You are counting on the umpire to make the right calls, and if there's a borderline call that goes against you, it's devastating in in so many ways that it wouldn't be in, in any other part of the game. So I just cannot stand it, and I honestly don't remember Gabe Kapler doing it a ton. So I think I don't know. Do you do you have an idea of Gabe Kapler? Does he do this? I can't remember it, so probably not. No, he he hardly ever does it. He hates intentional walks, and uh, you know I I don't think that he's super dogmatic about like I will never do this, but I I do think that he's pretty strong in his convictions for you know what makes sense and what doesn't, and I think that his. I, I think he does use a little bit of gut now that he didn't in the past, but for the most part, I think he really does trust the science and the probabilities. And it's like, you know what? We're going to make the, the the right call over and over and over again. It's it's almost the Farhan method of management. It's like, we're going to make one small baseball move at a time. All of them are going to make sense, and it's going to add up in the aggregate. 
And where all of that kind of gets challenged is when you get down to, you know, playoff baseball in the postseason, which he hasn't encountered yet as a manager. And that's when, as Bruce Bochy showed, you know, sometimes you do have to pick against the percentages because it's just the right play in the moment uh, for human beings playing a silly game that human beings play against each other. So I, I'm going to be really interested to see, um, you know, when the Giants do get into the postseason, whatever iteration of it they, they are in, um, if Gabe Kapler manages any different than he has uh, in the regular season. My hunch is he probably won't. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, well, let's move on to this boring Saturday win. Oh, that's another shutout for Kirk Casale. Uh, in comparison, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a really uh, interesting game because it's so important that the Giants got this game, not just because, you know, they're, they're keeping the Dodgers at bay, but just Alex Wood coming back with three hitless innings, didn't walk a guy. He only The only base runner he allowed was a hit batsman, and it was a quasi-bullpen game, and the bullpen was outstanding again. Uh, uh, that was a really encouraging game because I really think that Alex Wood is going to be a big, big part of what the Giants are trying to do in the postseason. Yeah, I agree. And they'll probably hope to get a little more work out of him next time out. They even could potentially, because his pitch count was so low, bring him back on, on short rest and have him pitch you know, the second game in San Diego. I don't think they will. Uh, we know Kevin Gosman is pitching uh, the first game. Uh, Logan Webb is a candidate to pitch the second game, although they may want to split those two guys up and have a bullpen game in between them just for workload spread purposes. But yeah, I agree. Alex Wood is, is a big part of what they're going to do. And to some extent, you know, they, they still have Johnny Cueto playing catch and, and he's uh, he's trying to ramp up and see if he can help them as well. Although that, that's not going to happen until probably the very, very end or even in the postseason if it happens at all. But it's just really, really hard to get through multiple rounds of postseason play if you don't have that fourth starting pitcher. I'm not sure that the the Giants really would be very successful in a model where they have three starters and then just bullpen everything else. So yeah, I agree. I think Alex Wood's return was was a, a really good sign. He's a guy who does have experience in the postseason where, you know, not a lot of Giants pitchers can really say that. Uh, there's not a lot of postseason experience at all on that staff. So um, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think he's a uh, He's a big key going forward. One of the the reasons I I believe that Alex Wood's going to be a key is because he's left-handed, and what you're going to have is you're going to have uh, teams set their lineups up for Desclafani or Gosman or 
Cueto or Webb, and it's going to be just stacked with left-handers, you know, depending on which team they might face. And Wood would be that option of maybe you have him as a designated starter and none of the supplies, but if you have Desclafani and maybe you're thinking, okay, he's uh, going to go four in this game, or, you know, if he's just kind of a regular Desclafani and not a super Desclafani uh, like he can be, Wood is the guy that can come in with any of these matchups and shake up that uh, platoon advantage that the other team thinks they have. He's just such a, a utility knife, and maybe it's not going to work out like that, but especially if Cueto is healthy, having Wood being able to come into one of these games might be his his greatest asset. I mean, and you know that's how the Giants think of him, and, and his the way his contract is structured. I mean, his, his incentives are not based on starts. They're based on games in which he records at least 10 outs. So, um, you know, clearly they from the time they signed him, there was conversations about, hey, maybe we can use you as, you know, a long man, or we can use you as someone that we have an opener who's right-handed, and then we bring you in for, you know, innings two through six or seven or whatever. Um, So, yeah, I I think that clearly all of that's going to be on the table. Yeah, so it's going to be Interesting to see how they use him. Uh, Cueto coming back. I mean, we've talked about that quite a bit. I think that's pretty darn important to get him back just so that they can play around with with Wood. Um, But the rotation looks to be in better shape now than it was a a couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago, I was thinking Cueto done for the year. Uh, Wood, if he came back, he would be uh, fatigued or just not the same. You know, there would be a longer ramping up. So to see him pitch as well and to hear that Cueto uh, is definitely planning on throwing soon, making a rehab assignment soon. The Giants rotation's in much better shape than it was just a couple weeks ago. Yeah, for sure. I agree. And um, and DiScafani pitching really, really well his last couple times out. And I know yeah. that he's they've had a little bit of a quick hook on him, uh, um, you know, once or twice, but, uh, you know, pitched into the seventh before he... Um, uh, before he gave up the you know the home run to Adam Duvall and and even prior to that I mean a couple of balls that weren't caught behind him uh, that you know Chris Bryant couldn't catch Austin Slater couldn't catch um, you know he picked them up and, and was able to get out of those innings um, and, and and really kind of bizarre you think about it I mean the Braves win three nothing on Sunday Eddie Rosario uh, hits for the cycle. And uh, Kerry Crowley turned to me and said, is this the fewest runs ever scored by a team who has a player hit for the cycle? And so <laughs> through the wonders of, of baseball reference, I could look that up in about 15 seconds. And the answer is no. There was a team that got a, a cycle from a player uh, that scored two runs. It was like the 1938 Cardinals or something like that. Um, but it was the first time that uh, a team won a game by scoring three runs or fewer uh, while one of their players hit for the cycle. Uh, since uh, the Angels did it in 1964 at Dodger wow. Stadium against the Yankees, uh, and it was Jim Fergosi who hit for the cycle, and that <laughs> uh, box that Sarah Legend that box score, yes, exactly, and that box score was was just a treat to look at because it's like man, all and all these stars, you know, and, and you're thinking, yeah, the Dodger Stadium, I I would not, I cannot picture Mickey Mantle in Dodger Stadium, but it did happen. Oh man, my dad would tell stories about uh, going to a track meet and uh, Jim Fergosi would be there. And the difference in an athlete uh, who will eventually be a professional athlete and someone like uh, my dad, who will eventually spawn a, a, a non-athlete like me, is just the gap is so vast. And he said it was a joke watching someone like Fergosi run around. And we forget, like, you know, even in the major leagues, they are so far above 
what you think a normal athlete is, it's uh, we forget about it. We take it for granted. Jim Fergosi was so good that the Mets traded Nolan Ryan to get him. So yeah, <laughs> clearly he was a pretty okay player. He was. He was a good player for a long time. All right, let's talk about uh, I got lost uh, in Fergosi land. Uh, give me a topic, Andy. I'm going to let you you have the, the con right now. Uh, let's see. Topic, topic. Do you want to talk about the Padres? There's a lot to talk about there. Yeah, let's talk about the Padres because I think uh, we were chatting behind the scenes about uh, the, the dole a series finale against the the Padres and uh, you know gosh what am I going to write about this game would you have any like we were just sort of brainstorming together and I think the idea I think what you wrote was really good because it you just can't take the the Padres for granted you can't assume like oh they're bad now they're the Diamondbacks you should win every game no they're still you know the Padres they might have Jake Arrieta they might have a ton of injuries but they're still a very very talented team you know um, I think that at, it's funny because we all pivoted from oh man it's going to be tough they got to play all these games against the Padres, um, and and uh, uh, ten of their last nineteen, right? The Padres were supposed to be one of the best teams in baseball, and then they win the first two games against them on the last homestand, and you think, oh man, this is great. The Padres are going to be like, they're going to steamroll these guys. They're they're totally out of sorts. And then the Padres win the last two games, and you're kind of like, hmm, okay, maybe we we're all a little too fast to pivot to playing the Padres is a good thing. And then they go to St. Louis, they get their hats <laughs> handed to them, they yell at each other in the dugout, Jace Tingler's pretty much already fired, uh, everyone's writing uh, what a mess they are, uh, total leadership void, two more pitchers get hurt, Arietta gets hurt, Snell gets hurt, uh, Paddock gets hurt, and now are we back to it's a good thing they're playing the Padres six more times? Definitely a good thing that they're catching them right now. I think that they will have all the motivation in the world to stay above 500, which is bananas to even consider. Uh, you know, at one point in May, let's see, that when the Let's see, the end of May, the Padres had the best record in baseball. They were 34-19. They had just uh, smoked the Astros on the road in Houston, and they looked like a juggernaut. They were supposed to be a juggernaut. And to go from that, since then, they, they've been well under 500. but I still think there's going to be a ton of motivation in them. They, they still... I don't know. I don't buy that they're bad now. I get that they're hurt. I get that they're not the team that they were back then. I just don't buy that they're going to roll over... Um, yeah, I don't. I mean, you know, Bruce Bochy next year, it might be a different story with them. Uh, but but right now, I I just don't buy it. I, I still fear the Padres. Yeah, well, I mean, it it doesn't really matter, right? Who who the Giants are playing, they just have to keep winning games because the Dodgers are not going to lose many more. I, I don't know what the Dodgers' final record will be over the last dozen games, but I think they're going to win more than six. I think they're probably going to win more than eight. They might win ten. Uh, they might win all 12. Who knows? Um, they're one of the greatest teams in baseball history, and that's who the Giants are trying to hold <laughs> off. So the Giants just need to keep winning games, and thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Yeah, no, that that's it. I mean, it's I wrote it. I wrote the power rankings up for The Athletic this week, and I just noted, like, look, uh, the Dodgers still have one of the best collections of talent in Major League Baseball history. And if you don't like it, uh, Levi Weaver wrote it. Um, because <laughs> it's, they do. They just do. And, uh, you know, even with Cody Bellinger having one of the worst seasons of all time, no hyperbole, uh, they just, they're stacked. When they can just put a one through eight out there and, like, not have Chris Taylor in the lineup, and then you have Scherzer, Bueller, Urias. Oh, and Kershaw, I guess he's like the fourth starter now. They're absurd, uh, but I would still take the Giants' position uh, only because they have the one-game lead. And when you're talking about 12 games remaining, uh, that is what is most important. Is They have the, the one-game lead in, with 12 games left. They are in uh, the driver's seat until further notice. 
Um, hey, wait a second. Have I been talking to Grant Brisby on this podcast, or have I been talking to Levi Weaver's sock puppet on this podcast? <laughs> How we can are I one know? In the, it is, uh, you can tell you're talking to me because of my idiot dog who, like, has woofed at least three times during this podcast. That, that's how you know. Ah, uh, which idiot dog is this? Uh, this is Piper. This is the old one who should know better. She's on my lap right now because she thinks she's a cat. Um, bless her heart. The puppy's chill. The puppy's just doing, you know, whatever, quietly. Uh, it's the, uh, the sweet idiot three-year-old. Good dog. Ah, uh, see, this is why I have plants. They're very quiet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this has been episode 163 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. There is a day game on Thursday, so we will be back on Friday to talk about what the Giants did. Uh, it should be compelling. It should be uh, interesting. The Giants, uh, they're in a little bit of a pen race. So we'll see you then, and thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.